who here is a sports fan? Who likes sports? Okay, do you have a favorite team? We got football going on. We got basketball shortly coming up. What's your favorite team? Yes. Yeah. The Chargers. Okay, my favorite team is the Denver Broncos, and they're terrible. If you know anything about football, they're the worst team probably in the NFL. But that's besides the point. I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, sports. Did you guys know that sports memorabilia make up $26 billion in the economy? How many of you guys own like a jersey? A jersey or some type of, uh, uh, you know, memorabilia that has like the... Um, this, the sports logo on it, right? I'm sure some of you guys have there. You've seen that at least before, right? So these uh, sports fans can get a little crazy, can get a little out of hand. If you know the Raiders or you know uh, the Packers, I mean, there's like Packers fans, Green Bay, that's a football team. The Packers fans will go out in like negative 20 degree weather with snow falling on them and they'll watch a football game in person. Right. Or the Raiders fans will have like crazy, uh, uh, you know, attire. They're decked out with face paint and they're just crazy fans. Right. These people are so devoted to their sports team. They are so excited about their sports team. It's like every little piece of their life has to do with this favorite sports team, whether it's football or basketball or baseball or whatever it may be. Their life is about the sport. Right. With us as Christians, what is our life about? Sometimes we see these sports fans that are so excited about their sport, in fact, they're more excited about the sport than Christians are about the Lord of the universe. And that can't be. So you gotta ask yourself, are you living in a way that reflects that Christ is the Lord of your life? Is that how you're living? Are you living in a way that looks like you are all about Christ? Your life is all about Christ. Because that's what Paul tells us in our text tonight, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Turn with me in your Bibles. I want you to look at this together with me. Physical Bible, whatever you have, I want you to open it up to Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Just two verses tonight in the English Standard Version. Yeah, it, it's a silly but comparison uh, but noteworthy comparison, rather, that people are so committed to something that they like in life and more committed sometimes than Christians are to the Lord of the universe. More, more devoted to a sport than the person who saves literal souls. Paul talks about this in Colossians 2. Look at it with me. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So this idea of walking in him is this idea of living for him. That's what we're looking at here. As you received Christ the Lord, as you've become a Christian Colossian believer, as you come to know Christ, now live accordingly. Live like you know Christ. That's what Paul's telling the, the Colossian believers. It goes on. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So notice this. These are called participles, which are basically uh, verbs that were turned into words. There's five of them. It says this right here. So walk in him. That's one. Rooted. That's two. Built up in him. That's three. Established in the faith. That's four. Just as you were taught, abounding. 
It's number five, in thanksgiving. And we'll get more into detail about what that's all about. But I want you to see in this text, when Paul is talking to the Colossian church, he's, the, the whole, uh, the whole uh, letter to Colossae is trying to get this point established for them. Christ is Lord. Christ is the Lord of the universe. We see that you back up to Colossians 1. He's the redeemer of mankind. It goes on. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the God of, he's very God of very God. Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the church. Colossians 2.2, he's the mystery of God revealed. Colossians 2.3, all wisdom and knowledge are found in him. That's basically what this letter is all about in Colossians the letter is about making, uh, or making it known or, or revealing, if you will, or, or just trying to show the point that Jesus is Lord, that Christ is Lord. The main idea I want you to walk away with this is I want you to ensure that the details and the specifics in your life match up with whatever profession of faith that you make. Some of you may not be making a, a profession. Some of you are professing and you are uh, bearing good fruit. Some of you are professing, but you're not bearing any fruit. And we'll dissect that a little bit here in a second. There's only one point, as you see on the worksheet. Of course, there's some subpoints there, but the, the one point, it, it, it kind of sums up the idea of this sermon. Point number one, make it clear that Christ is Lord of your life. Make it clear that Christ is Lord of your life. Now, whether or not we make it clear, I want you to understand that Jesus is Lord regardless of whether or not we make it clear in our lives. Jesus is Lord whether or not you submit to him or not. Jesus is Lord over everybody and everything in all the universe, okay? So whether our lives match up or not, Jesus is still Lord. However, the idea is as a Christian, if you're a professing Christian, your life ought to match up with that profession. Your life ought to uh, reflect that that profession is true. Some people who profess to be Christians, they just simply don't act like it. And maybe that's some of you here. Some people will make a profession of faith, but their life doesn't line up with that profession, with that claim. What do we call those type of people? Fakers, phonies. When I was in, when I was your age, we called them like posers, right? I don't even know if that word exists anymore in the vocabulary. Does poser work anymore? It's like you're posing as something that you're not, right? You know, I, I use this analogy from time to time. It, you know, I can call myself a duck. I can stand up here and say, "Hey, I'm a duck. I'm a duck right now." Would you believe me? Probably not, right? You wouldn't believe that I'm a duck. Why? Because I don't fly. I don't swim. I can't float. I mean, I do swim, but like, I don't swim like a duck, right? I don't float on the water like, like they do. I also don't quack like a duck. I'm talking to you in language, in words, right? In English here. So why would I have any reason to say that I'm a duck? I don't. The point I'm trying to make here is people will profess, they'll say, I'm a Christian, but nothing about their life adds up. Or maybe even some of it adds up, just like I can swim like a duck, right? But doesn't mean I'm swimming as if I were a duck. Does that make sense, right? So this idea of some things can line up with a profession, but that still doesn't mean that it's a genuine conversion. 
still doesn't mean that, you know, that person is a Christian. So I want to walk through what that looks like for you. In what ways in your life are you trying to hold on to authority and not surrender to Jesus? Right? If you're making it clear that Jesus is the Lord, if you're right here sitting in this room calling yourself a Christian, your whole life ought to back up that claim. Every single aspect of your life. You don't have the liberty to hold on to some pieces of your life. Like, oh Lord, I submit to you, I submit everything to you, God. But like my social media, I'm just kind of going to hold on to that. Or, you know, this, this friend or, you know, this friend is not a good influence, but, you know, I just really like him. Can I just be friends with him, God? But God's saying, no, you got to surrender everything to me. The whole life belongs to Christ because he's the Lord. Every aspect of your life. For others of you, that may look like actually surrendering your life first, right? As I mentioned that, that some of you might be people that don't profess to be Christians yet. And it looks like first surrendering everything to Christ, submitting your life to Christ. That's letter A, submit your life to Christ. Making it clear that Christ is Lord has to start with first becoming a Christian. The gospel. What is the gospel? You guys go to Compass Bible Church. Pastor Jacob's your pastor. You've probably heard the gospel many times since you've been involved in this church. But I want to, I'd be remiss if I stood up here and didn't try to outline this for you, especially if we're talking about Jesus being Lord and how we submit to him. Well, we first submit to him by understanding the gospel. You have to understand the gospel. You have to understand that good news message. The gospel, the word gospel, simply means good news. It's a message. And that message starts with God, right? starts with God. God created all of the things in the world. He created you and he created me. God started everything. Okay, then man comes into the picture because he created him, right? There's this relationship between God and man. And then man breaks that relationship with God by sinning. That sin comes into the world, messes everything up. Now we have rebellion. We have this period of rejection and rebellion, but God's faithful to his people all throughout that time. In comes Jesus Christ, right? Then Jesus Christ lives. There needs to be a restoration between God and man. And Jesus comes in the form, uh, God comes in the form of Christ and he is here and he's walking the earth and he's living the perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he's being sacrificed on the cross, a death that we deserve. And then he raises again three days later. And then through repentance, which means turning away from your sin, and having trust in Christ, remember that trust, that faith, is believing that what Jesus did actually paid for your sins. So that's the response, okay? That's the response to the gospel. We have this gospel message that every single person is commanded to submit to. Every single one of us is called and commanded to become a Christian. Everyone. So there's that response that we all must have. And then... There's the cost of discipleship. There's the cost of following Jesus. Have you heard that before? The cost of following Christ, the cost of discipleship. Matthew 16, Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Matthew 16, 24 to 25. 
Write that down. I'll read it for you. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we see this idea that we can't just try Jesus for a bit. There's no free trial in the, in the gospel, okay? We don't just try Christ and move on. No, we surrender our life to Christ. And if you're sitting here today, this is the first step. If you haven't done this, this is the first step. And if this hasn't been your response to the gospel, repentance and faith and surrender, right, then there hasn't been a genuine response. So I want you to think about that. Have you rightly responded to that message? Because a lot of us could be sitting here and saying, I, yep, I'm, I'm a part of the team. I'm a duck. But you haven't rightly responded the way that the Bible tells us to. To make it clear that Christ is the Lord of your life, you've got to be acting like him. You've got to be acting like him. And that, and that goes back to our text in verse 6 where he says, so walk in him. Right? I told you what that meant, living like him. Walking in, in him looks like modeling your behavior after Christ. That's letter B. Model your behavior after Christ. Model your behavior after Christ. So I have two kids. I have a son. His name's Micah. He's uh, two years old now. He just turned two years old. And he's at this stage in life. Do any of you guys have younger siblings? Like, how about much younger siblings? No? Just younger siblings? Okay. Okay, so maybe you remember this time in your sibling's life where they just wanted to copy everything, like either copy their parents or copy you in everything that, they, that you do, right? And you kind of have to watch your behavior around them because they're just going to copy it, and then who's, who's going to get in trouble if they do something dumb? You, because they copied you, right? Well, this happened to me today with Micah. He's trying to copy everything I do, so I have to be very careful in what I do. Well, today, I'm on the ladder, we're in the garage, he's playing in the garage, and I'm on the ladder, and I'm getting stuff down. Well, I get off the ladder, and I turn my back for five seconds, and Micah, turn around, Micah's on top of the ladder. Guys, this is an eight-foot ladder that's like here, that's like this tall, right? Well, I mean, that's like here, okay? He's on top of the ladder, and I'm like, I mean, I, could, I laughed, but I got it when he was good, but he's trying to imitate me even the bad things that I do, right? Now, Jesus never does anything bad, okay? This, I'm using a negative example to help you understand that literally Micah, my son, would do everything to match what I'm doing. He's watching me intently. He's looking at my life. He's thinking about the words and the tones that I use. He's, he's trying to, to see what am I doing in life, and he's trying to model that exactly, right? As Christians, when Christ is Lord of our life, we model him like that. We're so intentional to see what is he doing? How is he living? What does he say? That's the life of a Christian, modeling Christ. Write down Philippians 4, verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 9. It says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. 
So this idea of modeling Christ, modeling the apostles, modeling these guys that are godly men, right? Christ puts this perfect representation of what every single one of us that professes Christ ought to be. We ought to imitate Jesus. I want you to stop and think for a second. Evaluate your life. Think about your behavior. Think about what you do on a daily basis. What would Jesus think about the jokes that you're making with your friends? What would Jesus think if he were to take your phone for 30 minutes and scroll through it? What would Jesus think if he were to join one of your conversations and see how you're talking to one another? Or how about the thoughts that you think on a daily basis? Are they good thoughts? Are they righteous thoughts? If you're calling yourself a Christian, those thoughts ought to be be under control. I'm trying to get into the details and the specifics of your life because I want you to see that it's not just about, uh, you know, saying that you are. It's about being a Christian. It's about modeling your life after Christ. Every aspect. Because if he's Lord, every single aspect in your life belongs to him, not to you not to me. It belongs to Jesus. How about the way you treat other people? If you were to peer into that aspect of your life, you think about people, anger, lust, envy, jealousy. You're thinking negatively about this person in your ministry or at school or whatever it may be. Are you jealous of your siblings for something that they got and you didn't? Right? These are the little details in our life that we seem to be unwilling to submit to Christ. And you can't let that happen. Every aspect of your life, every aspect of your behavior belongs to Jesus. And here's the thing, guys. The reality is that Jesus is involved in all of these things because he's God. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's God. So this is not a hypothetical that we're talking about here. This is the reality that Jesus is involved in every aspect of your life. So there's accountability. There's oversight. You have to understand that Jesus is there all the time. 1 John 2 and 3. I want you to uh, turn there. Turn with me to 1 John 2. 1 John 2, just looking at a couple verses, but I I think this is important for you to see with your own eyes. Because when we think about modeling our behavior after Christ, and if, if you don't model your behavior after Christ, then that means that your profession may be in question. Your profession of your Christian faith may be in question. And that's what the, the book of 1 John's about is, hey, you, it's really about, hey, can you have assurance of your faith? Well, do you mark, the, do you hit these check boxes? And one of them is found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. A person who professes to be a Christian, but doesn't live like a Christian, is not a Christian at all. That's what we're trying 
to get at with this, with this text here is that, look, if your life, if your behavior does not model Jesus, now I understand we're not perfect, and I'm not calling for perfection. Neither is Jesus, neither is Paul in this situation. I mean, that is the standard, but our perfection is given to us from Jesus. But on a day-to-day basis, you might stumble, you might fall, you might sin. If you're a professing Christian, you're not going to be perfect, right? That's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying, though, is that, you know, in your life, holistically, your life, everything, it ought to be pointing to a, a, a life living for Christ, a behavior, a, your, your actions, your life ought to be showing that the profession that you make in Christ is genuine. Back in our text in Colossians, we see that, that second participle. Remember, I, I said there's five here. Rooted, rooted. That word, rooted, means established. It means being established in Christ. So you're thinking back to our text, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, be rooted in him is essentially what that's saying. Be established in him. So those who have Christ as their Lord are rooted in him. C, uh, letter C, remain rooted in Christ. Remain rooted in Christ. Turn with me to John 15. John 15, verse 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. John 15 is talking about, Jesus is talking about being divine. God and the Father is the vine dresser, and we have to be abiding in him. We have to be uh, walking along with him, abiding, rooted, established in him. Let's, let's look at this text together. John 15, you there with me? John 15? Okay. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be, bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here it is. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So these, these spiritual fruits, the evidence of your profession of Christianity, right? The things we're talking about here, modeling Christ, doing things that are righteous and good, doing things that are according to God's word. Those things cannot be done outside of being in Christ, abiding in Christ. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We need to be abiding and established in Christ. If you're calling yourself a Christian, if you're at profession, it is going to be proved genuine when you're remaining and rooted in Christ, when you're established and rooted in Christ. What does that look like practically for you? Well, that looks like being a student of God's word. How can you be established in Christ? Well, you have to know who Jesus is. You know who Jesus is by reading the book, right? Being a student of this book. And not only knowing the book, but then applying the book. Doing something that you learn. 
when you're doing, you guys are doing these DBR, uh, what do you call it? The DBR uh, notebooks, right? What are they called? Worksheets, DBR worksheets, right? And I'm sure there's some type of built-in takeaway where you have to uh, write out a takeaway. And if there's not, is there? Yeah. And if there, you know, so every day, don't just write something that you think can be taken, taken away from this text when you do your DBR. Instead, write something that you will actually do that day, right? Meditate on that, that passage. Think about these things that you read every day. Like when you're doing DBR, you know, and a friend asks you later in the day or if you do it at night, whatever, they ask you the next day, if you can't tell them what it is that you read, you didn't actually read. You might have read the text, right? But if you can't understand what it is you're reading and have a takeaway from your DBR each day that you remember, then you didn't actually do the reading, right? The idea here is to be understanding God's word. It's not to check off a box. We're not here to check off a box and read the Bible. We're here to study it. And as Christians, being rooted in Christ means being established in his word. It means studying it regularly. The only way you know what pleases Jesus is by reading the book. What pleases him and what displeases him. Be rooted in God's word. Making it clear, rather, that Christ is Lord of your life also includes this ongoing sanctification, this ongoing edification. Sanctification is you're growing in holiness, right? You're growing in righteousness. You're growing and becoming more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And people can edify you. They can build you up. And that's back in our text in verse 7 where it says, be built up in him. Letter D, continually be built up in Christ. Continually be built up in Christ. While you're writing, write down Ephesians 2, verse 20. Ephesians 2, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So we have, it, being built, like think about a house. When you're building a house or something like that, you have a foundation underneath the house. That's, that's this idea of, of edification, being built up, being edified. People who are making it clear that Jesus is the Lord of their life care about their personal sanctification. Do you? That's the question. If you're calling yourself a Christian, you care about pleasing Jesus. You care about growing in Christ. You ought to. Be edified by other Christians in your life. Be built up by other Christians in your life. Any of you guys play uh, video games? Some of you guys? Some of you guys like video games? Some of you gals like video games? Sure. Yeah. Okay. What, what, what system do you play on? Xbox? PlayStation? What is it? Nintendo? Old school out here? All right. Well, you may know something about what I'm about to say. Guys, I might be dating myself a little bit here, but I played on the Game Boy, like, black and white, like, little thing where I had to, you literally had to plug in a light because there was no backlight. Like, in order to see the Game Boy, you had to plug in a light like you were reading a book or something. See, see he knows what I'm talking about. He's, he's seen it before, okay? Or, like, the Super Nintendo with, like, the old-school pixelated Mario, Right? Some of you guys are like, what are you talking about? Like, I've never even seen that in my life. I've never seen that in my life. 
Well, okay, here's the thing. So we went from, you know, Pong, which was like, you know, the little boop, 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 right, to what we got today. Like the video games that are crazy, crazy immersive and great graphics, and it's just insane, right? But something happened to get there, right? It's not like new technology was, was coming out. I mean, sometimes that did, new chips and things like that. But we started with a foundation, right? And then it was built on top of it. It wasn't like something was like profoundly new and in, in, in in that's what was the breakthrough in video games. It was they took what they had before and they just made it better. Took what they had before, they built on top of it. They made it better. Okay, some new technology, maybe some minor changes. But my point is, is that it all started with a foundation. So it all starts with a foundation and it comes to where it is today. This growth in the technology. As Christians, when you are continually being built up in Christ, that ought to be you. If you're making a profession, from that day of profession or whatever it was, there ought to be a change, a drastic change, if you will, from that day to when you, where you are today, unless it was like last week. So what am I trying to say? Let me clarify that. What I mean is that sanctification and edification looks like you start somewhere with a, a, a mediocre knowledge of God's word or a, you, you kind of are doing things right and some things wrong and then you grow in Christ and you grow in your righteousness and you become more holy and more righteous. That ought to be an image of who you are. And if it's not, if you're detracting, if you're going backwards in your sanctification, if things are getting worse in your morality, if you knew the things that you're doing, right or wrong, then that profession may not be true, may not be genuine. But if you're growing in Christ, that's a good sign. You're being edified. But how do you do that? Pastor Roy, I don't know how to be edified. What do I do? Guys, you're edified on every single Wednesday night. Every single Wednesday night, you have leaders that are here committed to teaching you. You have Pastor Jacob that's here every weekend almost, except for today and tomorrow edifying you, right? Teaching you God's word. You're learning and you're growing and you're applying. You got to listen to those leaders. Listen to those people that want to pour into you and want to invest in your sanctification and your growth. Listen to what it is that they have for you. Listen to your parents. Your parents want to pour into you. Most of us most of us, our parents are there and they want to disciple us. But it's so easy to take that for granted and, and right? It's like, oh, I don't want to do that, mom. I don't want to do that, dad. But they're the primary disciple. They want you to grow in Christ's likeness. Yeah, take that small group time seriously. Take that time seriously. It's valuable time on those Wednesday nights. It's so valuable. It's, that's where you're going to grow a lot. Don't detract. Don't move backwards. And don't remain sta stationary. Don't be mediocre Christians. God's not okay with mediocre Christianity. God wants us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. God wants us to grow in holiness, grow in righteousness. That last, the fifth participle, the last word in our text that describes the state of thankfulness before God, abounding in thankfulness, abounding in gratitude. Letter E, abound in gratitude of Christ. 
abound in gratitude of Christ. While you're writing that down, write down 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. How many? All of them. Why? Because they're all gifts from God. Our life is a gift from God. Everything that he provides, even the hard things in our life, are gifts from God. Because we learn and we grow. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The first thing you ought to be thankful for is that God even offers salvation. I mean, that's an amazing concept. And I hope you can grapple with this. I hope you can understand this. That nobody, none of us, not me, not you, not anybody deserves salvation. Why? Because remember, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus has done. It's not anything that you can contribute. It's only what Jesus does. But God is gracious. God is merciful. It's an amazing thing that anybody can be saved. And he saves many. And you can be saved too if you're not today. He offers salvation. It's just an amazing thing. Be thankful that he does that. Pray to him. Thank him. Thank him for your salvation. Grasp that. That your sins can be forgiven, wiped clean, and that you can inherit eternal life. The concept is unbelievable. Be thankful to him for the day-to-day provision that he provides. Whether you're a Christian or not, God puts food on the table. God puts food on the table. For some, it might be a lot. For some, it might be a little bit. But guess what? God provides. And that's an amazing concept, is that God is a good gift giver. Be thankful to him for that. Yeah, those radical sports fans, right? The crazy sports fans that we're talking about at the beginning here. Everyone around them, they knew that their favorite team was. They knew what they were all about, right? It's crazy. I mean, people know the, they know every number. They know every uh, name. They know where that person went to school. They know who the quarterback dated in junior high. They know everything about their sport and about their team. But then we know little about Jesus. We know little about how to live for him. That shouldn't be us. There's a story about this loyal supporter of, uh, if you watch soccer, Liverpool. Any of you guys watch soccer? One guy? Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't watch soccer either. But I do like the World Cup. I do like the World Cup. If, I wish we were a little bit better at it, but I do like the World Cup. What this supporter, this fan in Liverpool, he uh, traveled to every single match in person. He went everywhere. Every single stadium that they went and they had an away game or a home game, he traveled to every single one. So he's traveling across the world. I mean, think about this. This costs time. This costs money. This costs energy. This costs so many resources. This guy is willing to devote his life to this football team. And he did this for 30 years. 30 years he followed this team until the day he died. 30 years this guy was devoted 
to his football club that he just loved so much. He didn't miss a single game. Christians should be known with this type of devotion and loyalty. Christians should be known, people that make professions, people ought to be able to look at that person and say, that is a genuine Christian right there. That's someone who loves the Lord. That's someone who has made Jesus the Lord of their life. Every specific, every detail of their life is modeling what they said is true about them, that they're a Christian. Every aspect of your life ought to do the same if you're a professing Christian. And if you're not, you need to become one today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word that makes it so clear to us what you desire of us, what you want of us. God, we want to please you. We want to serve you with every fiber of our being. Help us with this, God. Sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes we, we fall and we, when we waver, but God, help us to have strength to serve you well. May our life model the way that you want us to live, that you may be glorified in everything that we do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.